Lord Jesus, just want to ask that you would speak this morning to us, that you would open up your words and that you would open up our hearts and our minds so that we could hear what you have to say to us this morning. I pray, Lord God, that it wouldn't be something regular, it wouldn't be something routine, we wouldn't see it as just another thing we can tick off our list this morning. We've done church, we've listened to the sermon, we've sung the songs. I pray instead that you would actually open our very souls and you pour in your spirit through your words and that you'd speak into our hearts this morning. You'd actually cause transformation in us. I pray against us leaving this building and each other's company exactly the same as when we walked in. Instead, I ask that you would actually shape us, you'd mold us, you'd change and transform us into your image, into more like you, that we'd go away transformed in some way, shape, or form this morning. Just let this be another extension of worship. Help us just to have open ears to listen, open hearts to respond, and a willingness to listen to what you have to say to each and every one of us individually as your Spirit speaks into our hearts. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Right, so... I want to speak this morning on something that I've been learning about over the recent weeks and months, which is how God is the God who feels what we're feeling. So we're humans, we have emotions, we have feelings, we have circumstances and situations that we go through from week to week, month to month, and year to year. And what I've been further understanding is that God understands everything that we go through. God feels our emotions. He knows our thoughts. He understands who we are and the circumstances that we go through each and every day. So we're going to look at the God who feels what we're feeling. And to guide us in understanding that truth about our lives and how we can apply it, we're going to read from Hebrews, if you've got your Bible. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. So it's Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Since then, we have, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive grace or we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So let me just read verse 14 again, and we'll just unpack that together and see what God's speaking to us about. Since then, we, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that's Jesus, who's the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. So the key words when we hear that or when we read that, one of the key words would be 
great high priest. Now for some of us, perhaps those of us who are a bit younger and therefore are a bit more removed from religiosity uh, or spirituality in any form because we do live in a world where it's lacking more and more, we're becoming more secular and things to do with spirituality or even established religion itself is being disestablished now, it's being uh, forgotten about and moved away from. So for some of us, we may think what I tend to think about, which were these two things. Some of us might think of uh, a Catholic priest, for example, or or someone who has, you know, where uh, has a crucifix that points it at someone who's filled with the demons because the the crucifix is going to get that demon out of that person. If you've seen the odd movie that's like that, or you might think of a person that wears the long dress and holds the incense thing going around that has the smoke coming out or chants or hums. You might think of a priest as someone like that. Or, if you're a bit more into your films like I am, you might think when you hear the word priest, ah, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, if you remember that one. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was that second Indiana Jones film when he travels to India and he ends up having to find these five sacred stones from this cult in the middle of the desert and they're being led by this priest who ends up brainwashing children and ripping out the hearts of his servants and then sacrificing them to, sacrificing them to this god as they plumage, plumb into a fiery furnace. So two very different types of priests, two very different ways of looking at what a priest is, but for a lot of us, when we hear the word priest, we might not really know what it is what it's connected to, what does a priest do, who can be a priest, is a priest even needed? We don't really have priests in our society anymore unless they're to do with a particular religion. But there is such a thing as a priest and there's such a thing as a great high priest. If we go all the way back to the Old Testament, so just a very brief overview, we've got the creation of the world, we've got the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've got the story of Jacob and his 12 sons. And then we've got the story of Joseph, who's in Egypt. Sorry, the story of Joseph, who ends up going to Egypt. And then we have the story of Moses, who's a prince of Egypt, who escapes, goes to live in the wilderness, rescues the Israelites from their enslavement, in Egypt, where they've been for several hundreds of years crying out to God to rescue them. Moses leads them into the wilderness. They're there for 40 years, but as they're there doing their wilderness wanderings, God is establishing them as a new nation. So there's lots of different nations all over the world. There's the Egyptians, there's the Persians, there's um, the Mesopotamians, and then you've got the Israelites. So Jacob's 12 sons, who I won't list, end up establishing tribes. So you've got Reuben, you've got uh, Benjamin, uh, you've got the uh, other ones as well. I won't try and name them all off the top of my head. But they get established into tribes, and those 12 tribes make up the nation, the people of Israel. And then God, speaking through his prophet Moses, he starts telling him, right, this is how my nation's going to work. There's going to be a temple in which I'm going to be worshipped. There's going to be a priesthood who's going to minister to me and to the people. And there's going to be a high priest who's going to oversee 
the whole thing. And the Israelites weren't doing anything different to what every other nation, because everyone was a religious nation. There, wasn't, there was no such thing as a secular nation or an ungodly society. Everyone was spiritual back in those days, back in the ancient Near East. So the Israelites were no different. They were doing exactly what other nations had as well. Other nations had a temple. Other nations had God, or gods rather. Israel were the only nation to worship one God. And they had a priesthood, and they had high priests, etc. So when God's establishing the priesthood and the temple and how it's all going to work, how he's going to raise up his people to be a light to other nations so that they can be salt and they can be light, they can be blessed so they can be a blessing to others around them and therefore invite and attract God or invite and attract those people to know God. While they're doing that, Aaron who was Moses' brother, if you remember. Moses had a brother called Aaron, and God tells Moses, Aaron's going to be the high priest. Every son of his down his line is also going to be a high priest. So Aaron was the first high priest of Israel appointed by God. He was the intermediary between a holy God, and if you read the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll see the holiness, the purity, the majesty, the majesticness that is God. Then you've got the people of Israel who are the exact opposite, just like every other human. Israel wasn't any different. They're just fallen, corrupt broken people, just like me and you today, before we knew Jesus. And Aaron is the guy who's in the middle. He's the go-to guy. He's the intermediary. He represents God to the people, and he represents God. He represents the people to God. He's each other's ambassador. He speaks and acts on behalf of each person, God and the Israelites. So he was the intermediary between a holy God and a sinful people, the go-between who represented each other. So just to continue helping us just get a bit of an understanding and a background, because this will fling us into what this all means for us today. Who was a high priest and what did he do? So a high priest was someone who had to be what was called a Levite. And a Levite was someone who descended from the tribe of Levi. So remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was the patriarch who ended up having 12 sons, and those 12 sons were the founding fathers of the nation of Israel. One of those 12 was a guy called Levi, and his family and his descendants would end up being the ones blessed, chosen to be priests. And then one of them would be a high priest from within that family. They were a blessed nation. God chose them, for, not for any reason because of what they did or who they are. God chose them because they were faithful to him and they obeyed him. So he made them a blessed tribe to be his ambassador and to be Israel's representative back to him. So they had to be a Levite. They had to be a descendant of Aaron. So this is the high priest now. Anyone in the tribe of Levi could be a priest, but it was only someone who descended from Aaron, Moses' brother, 
That could be the high priest. Because that was the priestly family line. Moses was related to, uh, sorry, Aaron was related to Moses. Someone had to be from that family line to be a high priest. And then lastly, although there are other things involved as well, but these three key elements, they had to be ceremonially pure as well. So they had to do things like ritual washing. They had to bathe themselves. They had to put on uh, special priestly garments that were clean and that were done properly. They had to eat the correct foods as well, so they couldn't have anything that was deemed unclean according to the law that God had placed upon them at that time to show him what he's like. That was the reason for the law, to show God who he is like, how holy and perfect and righteous he is, but then also to show how we don't measure up to that how we fall short of that glory of God. So they had to eat correctly, dress correctly, wash correctly, and everything to keep themselves pure. They couldn't touch a dead body. They couldn't touch someone who was sick. All these things would make them impure or unclean. And all of those back then were just signs. They were symbols for us to see now and understand God is a pure and holy God and we want to avoid things that make us impure and unholy. But these physical things helped represent that to the people. So a high priest had to be a Levite. He had to be descended from Aaron, and he had to be ceremonially clean. So what did a high priest do? Three things again, three key things among many. He mediated between God and man, entering God's holy presence once a year. So God has had the temple. In the temple, there was this place called the most holy place or the holy of holies. That's where God's special Ark of the Covenant was. Indiana Jones, Ark of the Covenant, Raiders of the Lost Ark, if that's the only reference you've got to it. There's more to it than that film. But there's the, there's the Ark of the Covenant that's in the most holy place. There's a giant curtain that blocks it. And then you've got, all, you've got a bigger room. You've got a big room next to that. Then you've got the outer court. Then you've got the large outer court. There was all these different levels, all these different spaces you had to progress or you had to elevate or be elevated to if you were to get closer to God's presence. Because back when this was being written, or back when the author of Hebrews, or rather the author of the Old Testament was writing this, God's presence was something that would physically manifest and physically stay somewhere, whereas we've got God's presence with us at all times in every place, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we've done or said, God's with us by his presence. But back then, it was in this place called the most holy place, the holiest of holies. It would appear just above the Ark of the Covenant. And so, a high priest, only once a year, at a time called the Day of Atonement, only once a year, after he'd done all the rituals to be ceremonially clean, he would enter into the most holy place, past the curtain, and there he'd minister to God on behalf of the people of Israel, and then go straight back out. And then he'd be done for the next 364 days, until he'd have to return and do it again. So he mediated between God and man. He went past that curtain and said, Israel is sorry, they repent, they ask for forgiveness, please do that, see you again next year. (laughs) That's how it worked back then. 
He sacrificed offerings to save Israel and satisfy God's wrath. So God's a holy God. Don't be put off by that word. God's a holy God. He's a clean and he's a pure God. God has a standard because he's morally perfect. He knows what's best for this world. So when people actively go against that, like any good and loving father in which a child would go against him to cause himself damage or to cause other people hurt, rightly so, that father then doesn't like that. Okay, gets angry at that for the sake of his child because he loves him or her, but for the sake of the people they hurt as well. So that's a good thing. We, we, we like that. But what, what the high priest does is he will offer sacrifices, so animals of different kinds, bulls, etc., and, and uh, goats and sheep. And then he'd offer different kind of grain offerings as well. All these myriad of offerings to cover Israel up, to save Israel, to say to God, look at what we're doing. We're doing this because you've asked us to. This is a a sign that we want to be blessed by you, that we want to be saved by you, that we want to satisfy your righteous wrath because you detest sin in our lives and we want to avoid that and be more like you. And then he ministered to God in his temple on behalf of Israel. So there are all these different things that a high priest, along with his priests, would have to do. They'd have to light some candles. They'd have to put some bread on a table. They'd have to clean the altar that had all the sacrifices happen. They had to make sure all the incense was put in the right place, etc. So a high priest would have to mediate, he'd have to sacrifice, and he'd have to minister as well. So... The author of Hebrews says Jesus is our great high priest. The author of Hebrews is saying Jesus has fulfilled every single one of these things and he's done it to an even greater standard. He's done it in a perfect way. So the verse says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So we know what a high priest was and what he did. Who is Jesus then? And what did he do that makes the author of Hebrews say, you've got to look to Jesus now, not a high priest. You've got to look to God and his spirit, not God and his temple anymore. It's Jesus. So who is Jesus then? Jesus was a Judahite. So if we remember... A high priest had to be from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from a tribe called Judah. That makes Jesus better because Levi, yes, was blessed and his family was blessed to be priests. But Judah was blessed when God said, from you is going to come kings to rule over the nation of Israel. So the Levites were blessed because they got to serve God and be priests. The tribe of Judah was blessed because from that family line came kings who would rule over Israel. And then one day, culminating in someone who'd rule over the entire world. That's what's prophesied about Jesus. So a Judahite, the tribe from whom a Messiah was prophesied, a descendant of David. So a high priest had to be a descendant of Aaron, who was a blessed man and his family was blessed because he would represent the people of Israel to God. But David was blessed and all his sons after him who were kings. 
because kings were anointed to serve God and the people as well. Kings were anointed to save the people and to serve God. So Jesus is better. And then lastly, high priest had to be ceremonially clean, go through all these rituals, do all these things, whereas Jesus is perfectly human and righteous God at the same time. Jesus doesn't have to go through washing. He, doesn't, he didn't have to go through eating the right foods. He didn't have to go through this tradition or this ritual. Because Jesus is both God and man, he's perfect, which is really hard to get our heads around. He's eligible. He is the only one who can be our great, perfect high priest because he represents us as fallen people, as people who make mistakes, as people who fail, as people who are sinful. He represents us because he put on flesh. He became a man because he's God. But as as well as being fully God, he's also, as well as being fully man, he's also fully God at the same time. So he's got the best of both worlds and he puts them together so that we don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go through rituals or traditions or this and that. We just go straight to Jesus and he's done it all for us. So that's who Jesus is. He's better than any priest could be from the Old Testament. But what's he doing then as our great high priest? Very similar, but just better, more fulfilled. He's completed what a a priest in the Old Testament could only partially do. He's mediating between us and the Father as our representative. He's continually in God's presence A great high priest would go into God's presence once a year in the Holy of Holies and then come out. He's done his job. That's it for him interacting with God and that's it for him interacting with the people. He's done it. Whereas Jesus walks through the curtain or rather the heavens to enter the actual, literal, physical presence of God and he's there the entire time. Jesus is there right now mediating between you and me to God on our behalf. He's representing us and all our faults, all our failures, all our stupidities, all our sins, and he's going, I've dealt with all of this. I've got them. They're mine. I've secured them. They're safe, and I'm praying for them now. Jesus is praying for us right now, and God's accepting us because of who he is. So he's mediating between us and the Father, He sacrificed himself on the cross in our place. He's the full and final offering that saves us and satisfies God. A high priest, along with his priests, would have to sacrifice bull after goat, after sheep, after dove, after pigeon. They'd have to splatter the blood everywhere, trying to appease God with all of these rituals. Now that's what God wanted at that time because he was slowly revealing himself and he was working in a culture that's very different to us now. But what God was ultimately pointing to one day would be to to be able to say, no more. No more animals. No more food offerings. You come to my son Jesus because he laid himself down on the altar, which was the cross. He died in those animals' places. He died for you so that you wouldn't have to do that. You can come straight to me. Now Jesus has gone past the curtain 
stays in the most holy of places, which is heaven, the kingdom of God where the Father is, and he doesn't take himself out and stop interceding for us. He's always our ambassador. He's always our representative. He's always praying for us. He's with us and he's for us. And there's going to be no more. You don't, you don't need to sacrifice anything else. You don't need to appease God by doing something or by saying something. God calls us to do things. God calls us to say things. God calls us to be the people that he's purposed us to be. But you don't do those things because you're trying to appease God. We want to please him, but we're not doing it because we're trying to earn his favor. We're trying to get him to smile on us. He's already smiling on us. He's already favoring us. He's already blessed us because he sees us through what Jesus has done. And that's why we cling to Jesus, because he's done everything for us. So you can wipe the sweat off your brow thinking you need to do, 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 because he's done. So Jesus is mediating, he's sacrificed himself, and he's ministering to God in heaven and to us by bringing us to God's presence. Jesus will one day bring us into God's physical, literal presence forever one day, and we're getting tastes of that today when we enjoy worshiping Jesus together. So Jesus hasn't sacrificed yet another animal and passed through a curtain in a temple like they used to do. Instead, he sacrificed himself once for all and torn open heaven. I liked that when I wrote it down. He's torn open heaven. He's gone past heaven. The author says he's passed through the heavens, Jesus. I just get a visual image of my mind of he's torn open heaven. He has thrust us into the presence of God if we trust in him to present us to God holy and blameless and one day bring us there too. Yeah. (laughs) So, let me speed through this and close it up because it's going to be good timing just to have an opportunity to pray. Jane, do you want to come up? That's all right, with the band. Since then, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Jesus is better than any priest that was before. Jesus is better than anything you think or feel you have to do to appease God or to earn his favor and his blessing. Jesus is final and complete and fulfilled. You don't have to do or say anything. All Jesus asks us to do, and I'm not going to unpack it, all Jesus has asked us to do is to confidently and boldly approach him. No distractions, no doubts, although we might have them, just faith and trust that when we do that, he accepts you, he loves you, he wants to know you, he wants to help you when you're battling with the different battles in life, whether that's a sin, a sinful habit, a difficulty at work or family, a doubt, something you're confused about. It could be anything, whatever it might be that you know in your heart of hearts is holding you back from presenting yourself to God, from 
going into God's presence, from knowing him better and being more like him, he says, get rid of it. It's like a weight. Drop it. A weight just holds you down. Let go of the weight. Pursue me because I'm saying you can. I've done it all. Boldly and confidently approach God in his presence because of who Jesus is. And so just to close, let's just take this opportunity to do that. The band's going to lead us in a time of worship. If we could just stand.